afternoon. You are listening to Resonance 104.4 FM and this is Art Then and Now with me, your host, Anna Gammons. This is the show where we explore art from the past and art from the present to understand how we as humans express ourselves through time. Now, our theme this week is figurative art and joining me in the studio very soon is artist, performer and contemporary from t- contemporary dance company, Igor Amrano, Mr. Ego. So who is an expert in the way we use our bodies to tell stories and I am very very excited for that but before I wanted to make a reference to a few moments in art where the human figure has been used as a vehicle for exploring the world. Now, the human figure has been a motif in art probably as long as art by humans has existed. We've learned to draw on a most reliable source, which is ourselves and our physical form. And it's a subject that's brought infinite possibilities. We can explore anything and anything. And I think it kind of comes from the idea that if we can see ourselves in something, we relate to it and therefore can engage with it a little bit better. The human figure is by far the most versatile and universal muse. There are probably a billion artists I could have drawn on to talk to uh, today about the human figure, um, about the human figure through time. But I've had to settle on a few moments in art where I felt the human body has done or said something important. Now, my first reference is, of course, from Da Vinci, the Vitruvian Man, probably one of history's most famous uh, pieces. And I thought I'd start chronologically, so that's why we've started here. But whenever I think about the use of the human form through art, I always think about this image. And it's actually really nice to have a chance to properly research it because you see it everywhere, but you don't necessarily perhaps know what it actually refers to. So the one I'm talking about is, of course, the man in the circle and the square. He's sort of holding his arms outstretched and his legs outstretched too. And he's got sort of multiple multiple arms, multiple legs. That's the one. I'm sure you've seen it. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Um, And it is called The Vitruvian Man by Leonardo da Vinci from the 1490s. And the Italian literally translates to the proportions of the human body according to Vitruvius. Vitruvius being the Roman architect. I didn't know that. I had to Google that. Um, but it is, he describes in his writings the perfect proportions of man. And it's one of those things where he talks about how, you know, when you look at your forearm and it's apparently the length of your foot and all that stuff and how your forehead should be the certain height of certain fingers. And it's very kind of detailed description of what the quote unquote perfect human body should be. Um, but da Vinci's kind of taken these ideas and made his own rendition, surrounded by a lot of different notes from uh, Vitruvian as well. So he's sort of kind of put his own take on it and it's really really interesting and in popular culture is often referred to as proportions of man as I said it's meant to be the perfect human figure but Leonardo being Leonardo strayed from Vitruvius's exact descriptions and sort of went mostly off the measurements he'd made get this in Milan he was measuring male models which I think sounds great and I love the idea of him talking and saying oh I'm just going to measure you for to the perfect human form if I was a model in Milan I'd be very chuffed about that but so he uses these uh, measurements he's made from models and um he decides as well that the central point of the circle and the square, which the male form is in, should actually have different focal central points. So he sort of decides that instead of having the circle and the square should have one focal point in the centre of the work, he actually moves one of them. So, And he thinks this is kind of more proportional. So again, kind of an update, I would say. But I talk a lot about the connections of art, of art and science through history. And I think this is probably a really great example of how kind of mathematics and art are fused during the Renaissance in terms of trying to understand proportion. But da Vinci himself is kind of 
a complete uh, anomaly of his time, I would say. And he does incredibly detailed studies of the human anatomy. He's done images of the kind of female reproductive system and it allows him to produce these really, really accurate uh, paintings and also sculptures as well. But again, this kind of fusion of art and science and also exhibits da Vinci's idea that the human body acts as a metonym for nature, which I thought was really, really interesting. And I think on one, in one perspective, we do sort of understand the world through ourselves and through our human body. So it's kind of, you can't really take one without the other. The way we understand is through our own body. So of course, the human body is sort of, we understand nature through ourselves. But also, I think the idea of how the human body forms and how it lives, how it reproduces and then dies kind of does mirror nature's processes. So I think he was onto something then. And I like that he uh, he kind of came up this idea in the 15th century. So, so far behind. Uh, sorry, we're so, so, so far uh, <laughs> in the past we're talking about now, but it seems to be still relevant now. My next example is by Henry Moore, who was an artist born in 1898, died in 1986. But he became known for his really, really large large-scale sculptural depictions of the human figure that are mostly public works of art now. They're very, very abstract and they sort of look quite warped and distorted human figures. But the thing I liked most about his work is that he often comments on the female form and particularly um, mother, the mother and child imagery as well, which I'm going to talk about a bit more in a second. But also wanted to say that critics have suggested that these massive kind of huge sculptures that you often find outside of museums and galleries I'm sure that you've walked past many in your time in London and probably in Cambridge if you've ever visited the Fitzwilliam but they're supposed to almost emulate the landscape of where Moore was from and that was in Yorkshire so once again the human figure representing its surroundings in this way in a really clever way which I love and he also uses a lot of iron when he sorry iron and um, other sort of mechanical um, materials and it kind of gives his work a bit of an industrial feel too which also sort of reflects the contemporary setting of his world he lived through both wars and kind of inside and outside the war years, these kind of mechanical figures do all, all kind of reflect um, the sort of his contemporary surroundings at the time, which I thought was fascinating. But yeah, this mother and child motif I want to talk about because for me, there's the most probably one of his most famous pieces, Mother and Child from 1932. It's made of green Horton stone and it depicts a mother who is breastfeeding these sort of abstract figures, but you can see they, they do look very human. And to me, it's sort of this... This symbol of a mother and child is so rich, it, it sort of makes a comment on the human, uh, a kind of basic human need for connection. The, these sort of two people have connected, they've made a child, and now that child relies on the connection for its mother to survive. It's sort of the most pure and universal way that we as humans know how to describe love, which I think is really, really interesting. It's sort of the most powerful human emotion can be captured in this sort of one very simple and accessible image of a mother and um, their child. So I thought it was really, really interesting that sort of we convey so much of our kind of mental complexities in very, very simple images sometimes and, and done in very simple ways as well. Moore is sort of known for reducing his figures to kind of these abstract images as well. Um, 
but yeah, the one I was, the one I kind of most familiar with is the one outside the Fitzwilliam Museum, having been brought up in Cambridge. And I have to say, I didn't know it was a person for a really long time. I thought it was like, a, I was like, oh, okay, that's a nice kind of abstract. I, we are talking about when I was younger, but I, I didn't know it was a person. And now, and now I feel very foolish because of course it is. But uh, it sort of has very hollow spaces and uh, there's sort of a lot of geometry as well in his, in his images too. But I thought it was an interesting take on how humans can sort of fit seamlessly into their landscape um, and be part of it rather than... And, uh, disrupting it too. Um, now, I did have something to say about Jenny Savile, but I am sort of running out of a bit of time. So I will summarise by saying that um, Savile is kind of most known for her a very famous piece, Propped, made in 1992. It sold at Sotheby's for 9.5 million. And the thing I love about her is that she really does redefine the human form. She challenges our appreciation of sort of traditional aesthetics, especially when we're talking about the female body as well. Gone is this kind of image of, uh, think, Botticelli's Birth of Venus. Venus and sort of the perfect proportions, quote unquote, of what a female body should like. And she smashes through those expectations. Um, she sort of completely updated what it is to be human in a public space. And I think it's absolutely fantastic. So there we go. Three artists who have used the figure to tell a story about the world. Good afternoon, you are listening to Resonance 104.4 FM and this is Art Then and Now with me, Anna Gammons. It is now time for my interview with Igor, who is a artist, performer and director, part director of contemporary dance company Igor and Moreno. How are you? Good afternoon. It is lovely to have you here. No, uh, there you are so much. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many things I want to talk to you about. I feel like I'm uh, kind of jumping straight in. Um, so welcome welcome to resonance um how did you get into what you're doing i mentioned that you are you're an artist you're a performer and you also have a contemporary dance company so how did this how did this come about what's a bit about your history i, I, I wonder sometimes myself how, <laughs> how i got here but i think i dancing has been always something i've been doing since very little mm. and um it was my dad who actually encouraged me to start mm. dancing very early on fantastic i did not like it as a child, <laughs> and they're like, oh, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to do theatre. But, th- but I think it's because dan- the dance context that was part of it was very competitive, and mm. I thought, like, oh, it's so much. It might not get so me individualistic. anywhere. It's so about fighting all the time, about proving myself. Mm-hmm. So I did theatre, and then I realised, actually, it's really not. I didn't like speaking, I didn't like words. I, d- I, I was mm-hmm. very obsessed about action, about movement, da, da, da. Sure. so quite late on having given up medicine studies I, I, I yes, enrolled and then I never turned up I, I never <laughs> turned up to a medicine class I instead uh, went to the conservatoire for dance uh-huh. so that's so interesting I would I would say you're a great example of how it is quite in your blood I mean you you came back around and you full circle from something that I just couldn't choose between them yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. like, ah, where did I start from <laughs> but yeah I think sure. I was very 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 excited about action and how mm-hmm. the body can communicate. No, no, I'm not very interested in stories. Like mm. we don't, I, Moran and I, when we make work, we're not trying to tell the stories as such. Mm. But departing from us as human beings, yeah. how can we make work or an experience that we share with with the audience? Oh, so, I love it. I love yeah. it. There's so much I want to ask you about. Primarily as well, your, so your limited um, celestial space exhibition you've just done in Manchester is that right in Salford Salford yes yes Manchester yeah yeah I mean loosely Manchester we've been reminded so many times while we were there for the setup we're like well this is Salford not not Manchester Manchester. all right well I'm glad (laughs) I'm happy very happy to be corrected on that um can you tell us uh the listeners a little bit more about your show there because it sounds so interesting so it was our first gallery installation I think it's been 
brewing for a long time. Mm -hmm. It's um, it also started. It, it comes out of a previous performance we had created called Andante, yes. and it was this environment. This full, uh, it's, it's, well, it's a dance performance, but uh, gradually disappears for the audience because the theater is more and more full of smoke to the point that you can no longer see the audience, the, the performers. Oh, yeah. And many times we realized that people were very curious about taking out a place as performers, coming on stage, being in the in the lights, trying to understand, uh, align themselves to get lost in this space mm -hmm. and have a bit more time and, yeah, yeah. and for themselves to curate themselves like the, the, the smells, how the smell changes because the smell also changes throughout the performance. Oh my goodness. So this was an installation uh, in, we premiered here at Larry in Salford and then I, I voiced out this desire we had to do uh, a work for our gallery, for our gallery, and they were very excited about that. So they supported us on the on the journey all the way, and Fantastic. we've been like learning a lot. Oh, I love that! Is it fair to say that the the kind of viewer becomes part of the installation as they're experiencing what they're experiencing in a way? Yeah, the idea is that whilst they're there, it's an experience for themselves, but mm. they inevitably become part of the experience of for others. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It might be that you walk in and you're the only person, but yeah. it might also be that you discover there's somebody else there, or maybe you are sure. being seen by somebody <laughs> that you didn't know is in the space. Oh my goodness! Um, but you know, also the floor is uh, slanted, so uh, but that is not oh said goodness. in advance while you enter. So <laughs> some people don't really know if like they're losing balance or if like nobody yeah, fell. Yeah. That's a good thing. Sure, but, like, that is exactly. You know, so there are several elements that alter the perception mm. whilst you're in the space, and I think other visitors are part of that. Yeah, I mean, I have my own ideas about what kind of results you can get from, from sort of that experience as a viewer. But what were you trying to achieve? What were you hoping that people take from this, that kind of sensory experience where you're a bit disorientated and then gradually you're sort of acclimatising? That's an interesting art. I think it's because we think about our work always choreographically mm -hmm. done. And even though yeah. this was for a uh, gallery space, we still wanted to think about it as choreographic. So altering... The floor, or like mm. um, th there is a, a text written on the wall, but it's the same color of the wall, just a little bit, uh, it pops out from the wall. So to discover, <laughs> you need to come quite close to it. And at some point, as you follow the reading, like it doesn't follow the floor because the floor is slanted. So, you know, it alters at what height you need to be to read it. It alters a little bit your sense of perception. So the whole idea sure. is that we are also trying to choreograph. Uh, yeah, I we're like thinking, that. We're trying to think about movement in the space. You're forcing people to move in a, in a kind of different way as well. And probably you senses that we sort of ignore. I, I tend to think in, in 2019, you know, it's, it's oversaid, but I feel like we are overstimulated constantly by, you know, our phones and what we're doing. And it, it seems like a really great way to get people to almost... Um, individually think about the senses as, as individual senses and appreciate them for what they are. Is that, is, was that part of it too? I mean, removing the sight, so like the, having um, the, the room full of haze mm. is part of also yeah, like yeah. questioning how visual, like the eyes are so dominant in the way we experience the day to day, particularly in, in this part of the world, society is so arranged Absolutely. through visual communication. Mm. So eliminating a little bit that or questioning that a little bit and like bringing it smells that some people sometimes don't even realize they're there, even though, and then they tell you, I didn't notice the smells. I'm like, Ooh. oh, what did it smell like? like well, you might need like, to go to the doctor. This, <laughs> and this, this and this and this and that. Like, yeah, that's, that's what's in the room. Mm. And, and, and there's a score of smells that keeps changing or like, you know, like sensing, like altering that space of that, that sense of perception of your sure. is also part of like, you know, what other senses do we have to yeah. 
to perceive yeah, yeah. our environment uh, or, or yeah or work in general sure i kind of like how uh, potentially the the uh, the viewers or the audience don't necessarily know they're sort of part of uh, this this installation but become kind of part of it unknowing but also i mean i guess we are we experience things in all kinds of ways so i think that's a really fun take what was the reaction to the work have you had any feedback yet I mean, I think they're all kind. They're, I remember... <laughs> some people some, are like, what the hell's wrong with the floor? <laughs> somebody's like, I don't understand. The text is not written in a straight line. <laughs> um, which it is. It's just uh, the floor. Um, yeah, yeah. Very different reactions. I think we have very, very positive uh, reactions to the work in general. Uh, but also, I think, uh, like, from the creation team in there, I think we felt very supported, but also we were rewarded, I think, to see them excited by mm-hmm. what we got to do together. There was a, I remember, like, because we were there for the whole first week, uh, we're doing other work in the building and uh, we've yeah, got yeah, quite yeah. many chances to see other and like visitors in the space. And there's yeah. this girl, I think she might have been about eight, and she entered and started crying because she couldn't no longer see her parents. Yeah, and the parents went scary. ahead a little bit and they, she lost them. And oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, and she didn't lose them, <laughs> like, but she couldn't see them yeah, for a moment. Yeah. They're like, oh, no, I get that. I've got space? lost in Tesco's many and times during my childhood. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> And although I think many people spoke a lot about the haze, like I, I don't think it's the dominant element necessarily in mm. the work. And I th- I'm very happy to also have noticed that that, like people perceived that and and, and took it away with them. Yeah, so. yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Oh God, I love that. So you've been touring around the UK as well, and most recently had your London premiere of the show Beat, spelt yeah. B-E-A-T in caps, which I feel is a very onomatopoeic of this kind of performance. It was on the 1st and 2nd of November. How did it go? Did it go well? It went really well. I think I'm still buzzing from it. <laughs> I bet you are. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. You describe Beat as, okay, I'm going to quote here, as a solo psychedelic show about identity and the way we present ourselves. Can we talk a bit more about the show? Because I think that's very a powerful description. I mean... Part of, like it's been a very very long process up mm. until the premiere. Also, I think we started from uh, the point where we said, like let's not put ourselves the, the the pressure of having to make a work. Let's start with the idea, and then if and when we're ready to make the work, we'll do it. Which is what we did this year. So that was about Amazing. four years ago, and a lot of the process has been about like um, reading a lot about identity, about perception, about. Um, also madness and mm. how that is a how much of that is a social construct or is not the idea of mental health and I think you know how many social codes are about coherence about continuity about you know if mm. you just change from one to the next very quickly you know that is either socially dysfunctional or it could be diagnosed by somebody right and absolutely we've been exploring identity in that sense and and and, and confronting ourselves not just with elements that we're comfortable with but also with the idea of otherness and and trying to mm. like observe other uh, other existing yeah, identifiers yeah. Yeah. like with, with, within ourselves and mainly with margarita who had to perform all of this yes <laughs> you had she was the solo dancer that we're talking yeah. about here within in terms of this being a solo psychedelic show um she had a she had a kind of a weight on her shoulders didn't she to go as a kind Just of solo show <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I mean, I have many questions about that, which hopefully we'll come to. But I, I, I thought your ideas are really interesting because you mentioned sort of this constant decision to decide who we want to be in, in any given moment, I thought was very relevant to uh, 2019. And being a millennial myself, this is something that uh, I often talk about with my friends. Uh, how do we make decisions when we're offered endless possibilities? I thought that was interesting. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? 
Or maybe I've... I think I, 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 think I identify <laughs> as a millennials one. Well, I'm not sure. I, I think too so. Old for that. No, but I think you are. Like, <laughs> I, I, I do rec- like, I think if we've made this work, it's because it is a very uh, important issue for us or like an urgency more than an mm. issue it's not necessarily a problem but the idea that we are constantly I guess questioning ourselves and also understanding what we might need or not to be in different contexts and also what is right mm. trends um, mm-hmm. you know like so we've been talking more about that more than identity we've been talking about identifiers you know like sure. the different elements that people or ourselves we might use to define but that sometimes they are just like maybe an action it may be a piece of clothing maybe it's like a facial expression yeah. i don't know it's a lot about that pressure on that sense of freedom that often can become also oppressive yeah uh, but also you know trying to celebrate that fluidity that we don't necessarily need to remain in a single place mm. uh, and and i think that is the best way also to or 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 that is the best way we found ourselves to also be relating ourselves to otherness, like maybe opinions that you disagree with mm. or uh, people that you don't necessarily like go on the same wavelength with, you know, and, yeah, you know, yeah, how yeah. do you coexist and cohabit and collaborate with like people that are not necessarily like an extension yeah, of yeah, yeah. how you think. I think that's really interesting. I think once you, once you sort of break down um, why we behave in the ways we behave and understand them a little bit more, it makes you a lot more compassionate to others as well. I think we've all got our own our own stories and, and we react differently to different things, often out of fear. Like I think fear and love are the two things that are the sort of the main drivers in, hmm. in, in our lives. And that's a really interesting take on it. What was it that got you really interested in the beginning in this in this idea of kind of identity and, and, and wanting to kind of conceptualize that into a performance? Very, very early on, uh, it was solo that I was performing in, that's mm. before uh, Margarita joined the team. And uh, we started from all of those things that I thought I can do, like yeah. know, sing opera, <laughs> you know, I, I, very banal things like that, but also trying to, yeah, you know, <laughs> or also simply start, like, because identity is a lot about um, similarity and difference, right? Like, how often it's defined by comparison. And, Absolutely. And, um, I think that might be actually the basic definition. Yeah, we define ourselves yeah. by what we're not and, and who we, we are and not, not like. Right? Yeah. Similarity and difference and, sure. and who we identify with or not with. Mm-hmm. And so we started from more from the negative space, so trying to like map out um, all of those things that yeah, yeah. maybe I wasn't, I thought I wasn't, or I thought I didn't like doing, or I thought I was not capable right, of doing. That's, that's quite Which a vulnerable it, place to start from too. Yeah, so I think that's where it also like then changed and we started looking for more like this idea of like... Me- multiplicity yes. as opposed to just remaining on the negative because mm. I think it was quite frustrating in many ways also it's yeah. incredibly vast and very easily one can enter like appropriation uh, uncomfortably totally. so yes. we like I think we try to always remain within um, our own world and always like trying to understand and find the multiplicity within that Mm, absolutely what a fantastic way to to um a fantastic kind of platform to start from as well why do you think it was can you because you know it's very poignant that you have one dancer and i just think it's really interesting that you chose one dancer what was it about dancing um and and expressing oneself in that particular medium that you thought was the most appropriate i think it's about action like as I, I was earlier talking, earlier, it's, it's not theatre. We're not trying to build a character, or we're not trying to mm. tell a story. But instead, like there's like Margarita, who through the body embodies like these many differences and tries to like, you know, 
her, the way we perceive her con constantly changes, either because of like mm. the quality of the movement or perhaps because of the arrangement of the body or perhaps because of facial expression. And I think that is dance. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's how we understand dance. Sure. So like from one action to the next and how does it relate to the previous and to the next action mm. and to where is she in this space and yeah, yeah, yeah. eye contact with us as an audience all, all of that you know, yeah. all of that is choreographed absolutely no I because I, I, I watched um, a little snippet unfortunately I couldn't make the premiere but I did watch um, some some um, footage on the internet and, and what I, from what I could tell these sort of movements are very um, she sort of oscillates between very sort of disjointed movements and then more fluid movements as well mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. who was behind the choreography did she have a lot of input in what she wanted to say or was this very much your she direction she has a lot of input Definitely, like yeah. the part of the material was built uh, before she joined the team, mm. and I think that idea of transferring was part of the, pro the part of the concept as well. Like there was material that I had created mm, mm. with Moreno, mm -hmm. and then the idea of transferring and how that changes and yeah. how somebody else might adopt that. And then she created a lot of other material, and then we've also done a series of workshops with people mm. uh, with the same uh, like choreographic tasks that then. They offered the material for us to build on, so like there are different people who are involved in in the making of this material. Oh wow, I love that! And there's all there's almost like a kind of um, it's a fun juxtaposition between the the kind of huge teamwork that went into it, and then mm -hmm. it it kind of uh, sort of um, comes together in in sort of one person and what she's doing. That's a very clever way of performing. Now, the beat we're talking about because it's called beat. beat. Um, now there is there, there's a beat throughout, isn't there? A very kind of hard. No, I wouldn't say harsh. That's probably not the right word. Um, a very strong beat. What do you think that aids the sort of performance? Because I, I I felt very um, sort of on edge at times listening to it because it is quite um, as I said a strong beat. So yeah, what are your ideas behind that? I mean, beat the the beat as like as a pulse. Yes. It's something that is quite recurrent in our work, and I think it's almost like we we talk a lot when we're doing workshops, etc. Like there are many movements. Like even if you are completely still, there's like a lot of movement that continues to happen in the body. And beat the beat is one of the things, and mm -hmm. it's also. Um, the empathy like, uh, is something that we work with a lot as a tool to connect and to understand how to choreograph the material. Um, through the beat, it's a lot easier to build as mm -hmm. well, to understand how to build expectations, how to create surprise, how to like, you know, there's a sense of anticipation with the beat and yes. it's something pretty universal, I would say, yeah, yeah. that I think it's easy to relate to. Yeah, I think it gives as well some uh, sort of framework, I guess, for you guys to work with, as you suggested. But as an audience, I think as well that there's some sort of coherency to the piece because you know you you know when the first beat has happened, you know there, there'll be an next beat and you know there'll be one after that. So there, there's an element of sort of ease, but also unease because it is it is a loud beat. It is, you know, you feel very immersed there's in the performance. There's also this sense of I like, think. like the fact that you know it's there and it's going to come back and again and again. Mm. And it's like, it's again, going back to why are we doing this work like this idea that sometimes it's a choice sometimes it's inevitable and yeah. how, like trying to find like that yeah. motor and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know also opening up room for different understandings of whether mm. is Margarita going through all of these things or are these things happening to her and, yeah. you know it's like in daily life sometimes we automatically enter into a persona just because of who we have in front of us and sometimes it's a choice sometimes it's not absolutely sometimes it's a role that is given to us even though we don't want it and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know 
I think it's really clever, and I think as well for me, it, it was it was almost like as you suggested, there's a heartbeat element to it as well, which makes the performance feel very human and accessible in that way. So yeah. I connected to it on that level. What was what was the reaction to the performance? Did you have some amazing feedback? I'm sure you did. We had really good feedback, I have to say. I, awesome. I I'm pretty sure that there are some people that will still come to us with more constructive feedback. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone likes to have their say, don't they? Especially with the And I'm looking forward to that. I'm definitely looking forward to that. But mm-hmm. we had a really, really good um, reception to the work. And Fantastic. Yeah, we're very happy. Awesome. Yeah, as you should be. Now, you've got a show coming up too. Is that right? Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about that as well and uh, where listeners can go to find out more about your shows and your work? So that's a room for all our tomorrows. And this, this Saturday at the place at 7.30, I think it is. Fantastic. Um, it's a duet that we premiered here in London four years ago. That's 2015. Yeah, that's right. And it's a duet that Madonna and I perform on stage. Oh, fantastic. You're actually partic- you're participating in this one yeah, as well we as perform. having yeah, directed yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, Amazing. Yeah. So it's... Uh, it's a lot of a quotidian, uh, daily, everyday life. It's like this, like when you enter in the theatre, what you see is on stage is like a table and two stools with a coffee machine on top. So it's like relatively like yep. thre- theatrical setup. Sure. But then um, it's all choreographed around the table. It's Amazing. like we never say a word. It's all about like the encounter and these encounters between these two people. Mm. Uh, but it's like very much through movement and, and vocal work. So there's like a fair bit of screaming and singing. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I also like how you can, uh, you know, it allows your audience, as you said, to experience things on a different level as well. There's no kind of direct um, monologues or anything like that. You know, you experience the dance. So where, what's, your, what's the name of your website, Instagram? Where can people go That's to... That's Igor and Moreno. Yeah, igoramoreno.com is the website and Instagram, igoramoreno. So. Fantastic. So yeah, everybody go there. Have a look at what they're up to. It's really, really cool, really relevant. Unfortunately, that is all we've got time for. Thank you so much for chatting Thank with me today, much. Igor. Um, for any of the art we've talked about today, please visit the Facebook site at the Art Then and Now Show and join me next week at 3.30 on Resonance 104.4 FM. And a big thank you to Alex for doing the technician today. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Bye.